Amen. Good morning, Maple Grove. Good morning, those listening out in cyberspace. Good to have you with us. Uh, all right, uh, I, I got to tell you that that felt good, right? I mean, worshiping. Uh, I, I needed that this morning. I was kind of tired this morning, and even reading the Bible, saying, "God, I'm not really feeling it right now." But I tell you what, I'm feeling it right now after we sang uh, those incredible songs. Uh, uh, Paul and uh, Philippians chapter two write some words that actually became many scholars believe um, part of the words of the very first. Uh, praise course in the church. Um, he writes this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That sounds pretty hard, doesn't it? Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Question, what will happen at the name of Jesus? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. All right, this is it. This morning, we are wrapping up our series, Name Above All Names. I got to tell you, it's really been a, it's been a great series for me, um, uh, the study and a great series to come in every week to share with you. I, I have thought through some things I'd never thought through before, and to be honest, it accomplishes purpose that I have a deeper understanding of Jesus than when I began this study, and that was the entire purpose, that you and I would get to know better the one that we have chosen to follow. Maple Grove, Jesus is the Word become flesh. He is mighty God, Emmanuel. He is the Good Shepherd. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Lamb of God. He is the head of the church. He is the bridegroom of the bride. He is the vine of the branches. He is the cornerstone of the building. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the everlasting Father. He is the resurrection and the life. And I want to encourage you, okay, hold on a second. I think if anything deserved an amen, I should have paused longer, right? Like, that's an amen, right? Even at home, that's a stinking amen, right? <laughs> that's some serious truth right there. And I want to encourage you to reflect on and, and pray over these names um, this week. And, and let's pray over a few of these names right now. I kind of show you what I'm talking about. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence, Jesus, and we we thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you that in a world full of lies and deceit, God, that we can anchor to your truth. God, we thank you that when we do not know which way to turn, we know that you are the way. And when we see and wonder where we can find life, we thank you, God, that you are the life. Father, we thank you that, that you are the vine and we are the branches, and that if we just connect to you, Lord, that we will produce fruit and we will, we will have life. God, thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. Father, thank you that because of, of Jesus that, that our bodies may go on the ground, but our spirit will be with you. And we have the promise of eternity with you in heaven. And God, we thank you that you are, that you are the bridegroom of the bride. We thank you that when you look at us, you, you love us and you are willing to give yourself up for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And this morning we're going to wrap up by looking at this title of Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. But before we go there, just a a brief commercial about where we're heading in our next study here at Maple Grove. Um, We're going to kick off a study next week called Such Things Were Written. In Romans 5 verse 4, Paul says, Such things were written in scriptures long ago to teach us, to give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. And I I think as we find ourselves in a world that is increasingly more chaotic and more turmoil, I, I can't think of three things that we need more than to have hope and encouragement and to be taught the truths of God as revealed in his word. And that's why beginning next week, we're going to kick off a, a series of messages. Don't know how long it's going to go. But we're going to take some of those scriptures written long ago, and we're going to see what they have to teach us. And we're going to allow God's word, his alive and active word, to do what only it can do, teach us truth, and to give us enduring hope and lasting encouragement. All right, let's do this. Commercial over. The title, Lord Jesus Christ. It's used 60 times in the New Testament. Three times in Acts, four times by Peter, two times by Jude, two times by James, and 49 times by Paul in his letters. Here's just a a sampling of the times and usage. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great resurrection chapter of the Bible, uh, when when Paul is talking about our future resurrection, where we will put on our our body that will be incorruptible, he says this, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. And the final passage is one written by uh, Jesus' half-brother, Jude. If you recall, there was a time when, when Jude thought Jesus was crazy, and along with his other brothers and sisters, they wanted to kind of put Jesus away. But then Jesus walked out of the grave, and that kind of changed everything for Jude. Here's what he writes. And that he has a really short letter. In Jude, not chapter 1, the only chapter, beginning at verse 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. What brings us to eternal life? The mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the way I want us to attack this passage is by unpacking this title one awesome word at a time. You see, the title Lord speaks to Jesus' authority. The name Jesus speaks to his mission. And the title Christ speaks to his promise fulfilled. All right, let's do this. Maple Grove, Jesus is Lord. And again, this speaks to his authority. On that first Christmas night, when the, when, the shepherds, uh, when the shepherds were tending their flock and the angel appeared to them, we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And notice he said, he didn't say he is Christ a Lord, but he is Christ the Lord. 
You see, Jesus is not just a Lord among many. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when he preached the very first sermon about Jesus' death and resurrection, here's how he concluded his sermon. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And the word translated Lord is the Greek word kurios, and it's used throughout the New Testament, like over 600 times. I would say that's a lot. Now, it doesn't always refer to Jesus, but when it refers to Jesus, it's talking about someone who has all authority. Just like we saw in that passage in Philippians chapter 2, right? Where he says that, that you know, every knee, every tongue in heaven, right, and on the earth, right, will, will, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. See, Jesus is Lord. He, he's the one that's in charge. He's the one who has all authority. And in fact, when he met with his disciples to give them their great commission um, by the Sea of Galilee, actually before he gave it to them, he, he let them know, here's what gives me the power to give you this commission and why you should... Uh, Sit up and take notice of it. Then Jesus came to them, Matthew 28, verse 18, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, Jesus has all authority in my life and in your life, whether we acknowledge that authority or not. He has all authority in my life and your life, whether we acknowledge that authority or not. Amen? Like, like you may not acknowledge that uh, the police officer has authority over you when you're cruising up 29, 10 to 15 miles over speed limit, right? But as soon, soon as those blue lights turn on, right, you immediately become aware of that, guess what? You don't have authority right now that they have authority and they had it the entire time. Well, the same is true of Jesus, but even more so. In Hebrews chapter 4, after talking about how God's word is living and active and it's penetrating and it judges the attitudes and thoughts of our heart, the writer says this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's kind of uncomfortable in a way, right? You see, Jesus is Lord of all. And that means he has authority over every area of our life. It means that Jesus has authority over our financial life, right? How, how we make our money, how we save our money, how, how we spend our money. You know, are we using our money to further his kingdom, to help his church, to help those who are needy? Uh, Jesus has authority over our relational life, right? How we treat other people, how, how we use our tongue, what we do with hurt. How well we love others and put their needs before our own. Jesus has authority over our sexual life. Do we avoid even a hint of sexual morality? You know, do we, we see God's plan for sexuality as a man and woman in a covenant marriage relationship? Jesus has authority over our work life. Do we do, we do our best? Are, are we a great example at work? Do we serve others well? Do we do what we're told? Do we show respect to all people, even for those supervisors that are not maybe the best supervisors? Jesus has authority over our church and spiritual life. Do we give? Do we serve? Do we attend? 
Do we read the Bible? Do we pray? Do we, as we have on these banners in the back, do we seek the loss? Right? Do we make disciples? Do we show compassion? Question, how, how do you feel about Jesus having authority over all your life? Again, he's Lord. He has authority. He's the one in charge. He's the one that we one day must give an account to. And, and you know, as, as we reflect on this concept of Jesus having all authority and that he's Lord, I think Jesus may want to say to some of us what he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why do you say, Jesus, you're Lord, Jesus, you have authority, and refuse to forgive? Uh, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and use your tongue or your posts or your comments to tear people down rather than to build people up? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and continue to commit sexual sin? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and treat others with disrespect? Well, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and continue to hold on to anger and rage and bitterness and malice and slander and divisiveness? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not even attempt to share my message? Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? And then in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus makes what I think is probably the most uncomfortable statement she's ever made. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone, which implies some people will say that, right? And that, that, would, that would be awful, wouldn't it? Lord, Lord, he says, hey, I, I, don't, I don't know you. you know, if I'm your Lord, then... Hold on, it could be God. Yes, it is. Thank you. He said, you're doing a really good job, Steve. <laughs> Despite no one smiling. <laughs> no. Can't see your face. Um, anyhow. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where you know, I've been living in a kind of disobedience to him or just flat out disobedience. And, and I, I begin to journal and I start with these familiar words. Good morning, Lord. It's whatever in the morning, you know. Um, I'm here to meet with you. you know? And he goes, hold on a second, Steve. Do you mean that? You called me Lord. <laughs> why did you write that? Why did you wake up and call me Lord and yet, there's an area in your life that's not being obedient. I mean, instantly, I just felt him saying that to me. I felt him saying, you know what? I don't want you calling me that. I don't want you saying, God, I come into your presence. I recognize that you have all authority if you're living in disobedience to me. Don't call me Lord unless you really mean it. I kind of think it may aggravate him a little bit. You see, Jesus is either Lord of all He's not Lord at all. And, and, and what I mean by that, I mean, I mean two things by that. Number one, I mean, we can't say, well, 
Well, Jesus, you're the Lord of my church life. No, no but, but you're, not the, you're not the Lord of my, you're not the Lord of my financial life. You're not the Lord of my sexual life, but hey, you are the Lord of a few things. That, that's not how Jesus does it, right? And that's not the way that it works, all right? But, but listen, I, I'm talking about what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about someone who's struggling in an area of their life. I'm talking about someone who says, you know what? You know, I, I know what Jesus wants me to do in this area, and I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do, all right? That's when it's a real problem, right? When you go, hey, you know what? I know God says this is wrong, but I don't care. Well, then Jesus, he's not your Lord because he's not Lord of all. Are there any areas of your life where, where Jesus is not Lord? And I think every one of us has at least one area. And if you don't, if you can't think of one, ask someone who knows you to tell you one. No, kidding. Uh, you may want to pray this prayer. If you go, I, I think, man, me and God, I recognize authority in all things. And maybe you need to pray this prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Ask God, God, is there some area in my life that is not under your authority that maybe is kind of ticking you off right now? And I don't want to do that. I don't want to call you Lord and be living contrary to that. You see, surrendering to Jesus is a package deal, you know, he is both Lord and Savior. We don't get to choose the one. And, and, and I don't know if it means anything, but there's four times in scriptures that Jesus, we find the phrase Lord and Savior four times, but we never, again, I don't know if it means anything, but we never find Savior and Lord put in that order. It's always Lord and Savior, right? Because when you surrender to him as Savior, you can't do that until you recognize that he is Lord, right? And, and just one more thing before we move on to the name Jesus um, one of the most important expressions in the New Testament is the three words, in the Lord. In the Lord. You see, this expression signifies that which is done in the presence of, in the authority of, and in the power and glory of Jesus. Okay, it's, it's done in the presence of, the authority of, and under the power or authority of Jesus. Question. What is the source of all instruction, faith, and behavior for the Jesus follower. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. See, all that makes us distinctive from other people is under the lordship of Jesus. Now, question, what is the basis of stability and strength in the lives of God's people. Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. In this way, dear friends. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You see, we find power and strength and stability in the Lord. What is the motivation for Christian service? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, our service is done in the power and under the lordship of Jesus, and it is never, ever in vain. 
though it may feel that way sometimes. But stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Uh, what is the foundation for love and fellowship within the body of Christ? The churches, 1 Corinthians 16, 19. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. You see, the basis of our love and fellowship is in the Lord. You know, and that's one of the things I, I notice so much when I go on a mission trip. You know, we just did a, a, a FaceTime, a Zoom meeting with um, Richie in Northern Ireland and our, our partner there. And it's, you go on a mission trip, people from all over the country don't know each other. You're going somewhere where you don't know the people there. But because your relationship is grounded in the Lord, I mean, instantly, your family, instantly you care about people. Instantly, you begin to share things and be there and, and help people through their hurts, all because we have this relationship. I mean, instantly, your family, right? And that's the basic, because it's in the Lord. Uh, what hope do Christian followers, Jesus followers, have for their future? Revelations fourteen thirteen. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. You see, when we die in the Lord, we will rest. We will rest from our labors. That's our hope. And, and, and what gives Jesus' followers the ability to, to smile in the face of death or to find joy in the most difficult of life circumstances? Finally, my brothers, Philippians 3, verse 1, and sisters, rejoice in what? Rejoice in the Lord, right? If we rejoice in the Lord, there's always a reason to rejoice. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. By the way, where was Paul when he wrote this? He was in prison. And it's a safeguard for you. See, rejoicing the Lord is a safeguard for us. It protects us from the enemy. Jesus is Lord. This speaks to his authority. Now let's move on to the name Jesus. And this name speaks to his mission. When the angel showed up in a dream to Joseph, when he was really struggling because he found out that his fiancée was pregnant. And the angel encourages him and says, hey, this is of God. This is of God. She's not been unfaithful to you. Mary's not been unfaithful. In verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1, she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Why were they to give him the name Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is the Greek form of the Old Testament and the Hebrew word named Joshua. And Joshua means Yahweh or God is salvation or Yahweh or God saves. And Jesus was a very common name in the first century, probably because of, of Joshua, right? You know, he, he was a great leader of God's people, successor to Moses, led them in the promised land. Interestingly, when you read documents, you find that by the end of the first century, Jesus' name was not that common anymore. Uh, Jewish people stopped naming their kids Jesus because it was so closely associated with Christianity, which they opposed and were hostile to. And Christians didn't want to have the name Jesus because they felt, I mean, I, I was never tempted to name any of my sons Jesus, right? If my mom and dad named me Jesus, I would have changed my name, right? I mean, they, didn't want, they felt only one person deserves to wear that name, all right? Also, I found it interesting in my studies that only one person in all of Scripture actually calls Jesus by his name Jesus, and that was a thief on the cross, just one time. 
you know? And, and, and Jesus only calls himself by that name two times. And both of those times are after he ascended and is back home with the Father, right? In Acts chapter 9, verse 5, he, he talks to Paul. Paul's persecuting the church. And, and, and this bright light, Paul says, Who are you, Lord? Jesus answered, I am Jesus, whom you are crucifying. And then we read it again in Revelation 22, verse 16, where Jesus refers to himself as Jesus. So give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, saving people from their sins was and is Jesus' mission, right? As he told that short tax collector in the tree, right? He, he, he said that he had, the Son of Man has come to what? To seek and save the lost. Luke 19, verse 10. You see, salvation is why Jesus came. And Jesus is the only way, the only path to experience that salvation. Jesus said, we looked at this several weeks back, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but what? But through me. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are brought before the religious leaders because they had healed a, a blind guy, not a, a lame guy, and, and they're brought in to the Jewish leaders, Peter and John, and they say, by what power and by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, which means you're lame even calling us in here, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Okay? Only way to experience salvation is through, is through Jesus. And, and just who needs this salvation? Everybody, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means God's perfection, right? You know, we can't live up to God's perfection. You may think you're better than this person, but compared to God, right? It'd be like, you may be a good swimmer, but if you're, you're, you're swimming from California to Hawaii, it doesn't matter how good of a swimmer you are, every one of us is going to drown, right? If the goal is to reach Hawaii, right? And, and so, so we all fall short of God's glory, every single person. And Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is, is death. You know, death means separation from God, and and it also, if it's not taken care of, it means eternal punishment. That's, that's not uncomfortable. That's an uncomfortable topic, but it's reality. Um, we read recently, and our faith comes from hearing in Mark nine three times Jesus talks about hell, and he describes it the exact way three times in Mark chapter nine, where the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. And the whole point is saying, hey, this is going to last forever, and it's going to be extremely painful. See, the name of Jesus speaks to his mission of saving people from their sins, and saving them from the wrath of God and eternal punishment. Understand, before Jesus, we were in a heap of trouble, as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead. In your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of what? Objects of wrath, right? Objects of wrath. That's the bad news, and it's pretty bad, right? Being an object of God's wrath. You see, you know, to be lost doesn't mean that God just leaves you alone. That means God pursues you as a criminal to punish you, right? He just leave, hey, just, you have it your way. No, God pursues you as a criminal to, to punish you. You're an object of God's wrath. Sin incurs God's wrath. But there is good news. Because the very next verse in Ephesians, right, Ephesians 4 says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. For the wages of sin is death. It's the same verse. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Question, where is the gift of eternal life? The gift of eternal life is where? It's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And and so uh, a really important question for us to answer is is how does a person get in Christ, right? We're all outside of Christ. We're all under God's wrath. How do we get in Christ? And and there's one book in the Bible where we see people who are lost coming to salvation, and that is the, the book of Acts. And in that book, you see the same process that goes on, right? You know, uh, they hear the gospel. Someone's got it. They don't know it yet, right? They hear the gospel, and, and then, they, then they believe, right? They believe the gospel, and, and then they repent of their sin and being the Lord of their own life, and, and then they're willing to confess that Jesus is Lord, that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then they're baptized in to Christ, right? We see the same pattern again and again in the book of Acts. In Acts 2, 37 and 38, we read this. After Peter preached his sermon, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, Acts 2, 37, and said to Peter and other apostles, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see that same pattern again and again. Uh, you know, uh, you can look up this passage on your own. Acts chapter 8, verse 30 and 39. That's when Philip um, uh, preaches to the Ethiopian eunuch. This eunuch is heading out of Jerusalem. He's reading the book of Isaiah. Has no clue what he's reading. Holy Spirit, I, I think he like, they had like a, he beamed them over there. <laughs> All of a sudden, Philip appears there, runs up to the chariot, and, and, and he and he says, Philip says, hey, you know what? Do you understand what you're reading? He goes, how can I understand if no one explains it to me? And then, and the eunuch was reading Isaiah 53 that talks about Jesus suffering, the suffering like a lamb led to the slaughter. And so Philip gets in the chariot and they ride along and Philip begins to teach this man about Jesus. And, they're, and suddenly they come to water, you know, and the eunuch says, hey, hold on, hold on a second. You know, what is preventing me from being baptized? And, and, and Philip says, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of a God? And he says, yeah, I, I believe that. And then they got out of the chariot, went down in the water, and he was baptized. So he heard the word, right? He believed the word. He confessed that Jesus is Lord, and he, and he was baptized into Christ. Then Jesus speaks to his mission to save people from their sins so they are no longer objects of God's wrath. 
you know, question, are, are, you, are you saved? Are you right with God? You know, have you responded to the gospel in the way that God says, right? Like, if I wronged you, you know, and, and, and committed a sin against you, you know, I'm forgiven when you say I'm forgiven, right? Like, I, I could send you, I could write you a note, like I wronged Steve Bailey there, right? Like, I, I took the mask he's wearing right now, and I don't have to wear one, by the way, because it's being interpreted for the hearing impaired, and that's a, a beautiful loophole in our Executive Order 53. Um, but if I took Steve Bailey's mask and pulled it out, stretched it, and snapped it to his face, right, and, and like, I really offended him, and that offense lies in his mind, and I write him a note and say, Steve, I'm really sorry I did that. You know, I'm forgiven. Well, I'm not forgiven until Steve says I'm forgiven, right? I can forgive myself. I can feel like I'm forgiven, but I'm only forgiven when Steve says I'm forgiven. And so we're forgiven when God says that we are forgiven, when we respond to him as his word teaches. Um, hope that makes sense. You know, and, and, and I'm going to be here at, at the church today from 3 to 4 for those listening online. If you've not, you want to talk about your walk with Jesus, I'll be here from 3 to 4. You know, if you haven't been baptized, you want to talk about that, we can do that today from 3 to 4 o'clock, all right? I always love to have that conversation. Um, Hebrew writer writes this. He's talking about, in Hebrews chapter 2, he's saying, you know, like the angels came with these messages. These, these messengers came with these truths from God, and, and people that were disobedient to that were punished, that's what he's talking about. And then he says this in Hebrews 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord and confirmed by those, confirmed to us by those who, who heard him. And, and, and I, think, I think one of the reasons that, that, that people ignore or disgrace salvation or put off surrender to Christ is you know, they maybe misunderstand God's love and justice and how they interact. I made a post this week on Facebook. And I said, what is the primary attribute of God? God's love or God's justice? And I said, hey, just pick one, you know. And I said, thank you. And the votes tally this way. 29 people said love. Three said holiness. You know, they went for that. That's good. Um, five said neither or both, right? We don't want to choose. We're, it's, it's either or both. One said cross. One said can't do it. Pretty much a dumb question, Steve, right? And, and, and coming in like a day later was the guy said justice. Justice finally came in. And, and uh, uh, like the next day or so, I, I wrote this, this on my Facebook. Thanks to everyone who responded to my question about God's attributes of love and justice Uh, Now, it probably was not the best word to question, but here is the thinking behind the question. God's justice requires the punishment of sin, and God's love desires our salvation, right? God's justice requires the punishment. His love desires our salvation. And and, and there's this concept of of who's the king of the jungle. Um, Kipling wrote a a short story called Red Dog, and, and they talk about, well, who's the king of the jungle? And the one that, who's the king of the jungle is the one for whom everybody steps aside. You're on the path, and you know, the king doesn't step aside. Everybody steps aside for the king. Again, God's justice demands sin be punished. His love desires our salvation. And so the question is, when, when God's justice and love, right, meet up on the path of a 
non-Christian's life, who steps aside? Does God's love and desire for salvation step aside? Or does God's justice and sin has to be punished steps aside? All right? No one comes to the Father but through who? Jesus, right? And so though God's love desires our salvation, when, they, when God's justice meets that, it's love and desire for salvation that steps aside because there must be punishment for sin. Then I wrote, again, not the best worded question, but I think it's worth wrestling with the idea of how God's love and justice interact. I think we find it much easier to talk about God's love than we do justice. I know I do. God's love is much more appealing and palatable than talking about his justice. I mean, who wants to hear about a God who sees people as objects of wrath or a God whose hands, it is a dreadful thing to fall into. And I wrote, you know, sometimes I think God's justice is treated like the uncle we keep in the other room when we have company in. We'd rather not talk about it. We feel like his justice is something that we need to defend or apologize for. Again, just some of the stuff I was thinking about and wrestling with. I obviously do not have all the answers on this, I wrote, you know. But I think it's worth us thinking about, right? You know, could that, yeah, God loves everybody. God desires, Second Peter 3, 9, everyone to come through repentance and be saved, right? But we know that not everybody will. Only through Jesus Christ do we find salvation. And the good news is it's free, right? It's a free gift. It's a gift that we just accept. Through faith, confession, repentance, and baptism. The title, Lord, speaks to Jesus' authority. The name Jesus speaks to his mission. And again, if, if, if you've not surrendered to Christ in this room or listening, or, or if we know people who have not yet made this decision, I, I just pray for a burden to be on those who haven't surrendered and a burden to be us who know people who need to surrender. That It really matters, right? If sin wasn't a big deal, Jesus wouldn't have been nailed to a cross, right? You know, it is a big deal. And either, because God is just, either Jesus pays the debt or we pay the debt. That's it. God's justice must be satisfied. And it's much better, right? And and Jesus wants to pay the debt for you. And finally, as we we wrap up, uh, Christ, um, that's the title. Um, It's not Jesus' last name. I used to think it was his last name for a long time. You know, Joseph Christ and Mary Christ had a little boy named Jesus Christ, but that's not how it is. Um, I'm not lying. I used to think that. Um, what about you? He asked. Matthew 16, 15 and 16. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That, that word, um, Greek word Christos is where we get the word Christ and it only means the anointed one, right? The anointed. In the Old Testament, there were three offices ministries that were anointed. They anointed prophets, they anointed priests, they anointed kings, right? And in the Old Testament, nobody ever had all three of those offices. No one was ever a priest, a prophet, and a king, right? No one ever had all three. Um, And and what would happen is when God called someone to a particular office, he would send a servant to anoint them with oil, and that oil would signify that God had ordained them and set them apart for this specific ministry, and that God would empower them to do that ministry, okay? And, and interestingly, though no one held the office of prophet, priest, and king in the Old Testament, 
The Old Testament foretold of a time when someone would come who would hold all three offices, right? And that person was the Messiah. He would be a prophet, priest, and a king. And when Jesus was anointed, he wasn't anointed with oil. He was anointed with, well, we'll see in Acts 10, verse 38. And I sent the outline, and there's outlines back there. You know, this, this, there's a lot of scripture in this message today. And I'll put the scripture there so you can go and read it. And as, and as always, if you ever have any questions or I said something wrong, right, um, please let me know. Um, Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So he anointed him with the Holy Spirit. And three statements about this. As God's ultimate prophet, Jesus was anointed to preach the good news and bring God's final word to his people. In Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, and was his custom, he set up the reed, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, Jesus is God's ultimate and final word to God's people. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his Son. And he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. And then in Mark chapter 9, right, the transfiguration, you had Moses show up, and you had Elijah show up, Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, and they're, they're, they're chilling out with Jesus, and they, they disappear, and all that's left is Jesus, right? And, and then a cloud covered and appeared over them, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Yeah, you had Moses, you, you had Elijah, you had the prophets, you had the law. Now listen to Jesus. And as God's ultimate priest, Jesus was anointed to offer the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Hebrews 9, 24 through 26. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. Now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. See, Jesus is the perfect high priest who's already made the perfect sacrifice for all sins for all time. We simply have to receive that forgiveness. And as God's ultimate king, Jesus was anointed to establish a powerful and righteous kingdom that will never end. That as Hebrews chapter 12, 28 says, that will never be shaken. Gabriel told Mary about Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Isaiah writes, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And because Jesus is the Christ, because he has fulfilled God's promises, you know, we now have a righteous king ruling over us forever. We now have a high priest who's already offered us, for us, the perfect sacrifice, right? We're saved by grace through faith, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we already have God's perfect and final word about life. I don't know about you, but I, I love our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord speaks to his authority, right? Do you recognize his authority in your life? The name Jesus speaks to his mission, right? You know, to save us, to save me, to save you from our sins. The name Christ speaks to his promise fulfilled, to be our forever reigning king, our prophet, and our high priest. I want to close with these words that Paul actually opens up his letter to 1 Corinthians with. To church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, God, we humbly come before you and Holy Spirit, I, I just pray right now that uh, as we're prepared to sing, Lord, that you would uh, help us, Lord, to breathe in and breathe out and consider who you are, consider whether or not you're the authority in our life, God. Lord, if we've accepted your salvation. Father, thank you that you love us and you care for us and you died for us. Thank you for providing a firm foundation that we can build our lives on. In Jesus' name, amen.